For our talk today, I want to deal with three discrete uh, thoughts. They are related, but I'm going to deal with them as three cameos. And the first is to come back to what I spoke last week about Moses and the burning bush. And to say that what we were looking at there was Moses, when he comes to the end of his life, he's about 120 years old, the children of Israel are about to pass into the land of promise, he's not allowed to go, and he speaks to the people who are gathered at the river, and then he speaks specifically to Joshua. And in Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, he says to them, the Lord himself goes before you, he will be with you. And we, we reflected on that somewhat. I want to take that slightly further this morning, but um, we go back also to Exodus 3, where Moses is busy tending the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro. He's on the backside of the mountain. He's going about his normal daily business, and he sees the bush that is burning but not getting burnt up. And he approaches it. He thinks to himself, let me go and look to see what's going on here. Let me go and, if, if you like, pay attention to what's actually happening here. And as he makes the move towards that bush, God speaks to him. And it's instructive to us in the sense that it's the paying attention that is important. Thomas Merton, um, the monk who uh, died some years ago, said this, that the gate of heaven is everywhere. And in essence, that's the point that we're trying to make. The gate of heaven is everywhere. We need to pay attention. We need to be recognizing where God is, where he is going before us, where he is with us in every situation. We need eyes to see and ears to hear. We need to be observers, participants in what's going on in the fullness of life all around us, watching for the signs of the Spirit. As we noted in Revelation 2 and 3, the letters to the churches, when we looked at Revelation, each one of the uh, churches are called to be perceptive, to be observant, to be looking for what the Spirit is saying, to listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church at that particular time. And I'm inviting us again, because it's so important, to pay attention to the ordinary things around us. Because if it's true, that God is going ahead of us, if it's true that God is with us, as he promised in Matthew 28, then the signs of his presence are going to be all around us. And we have become desensitized in a sense. We live in a daze. Pay attention. And it's interesting that in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus uses this word in Greek, and I'm not going to go into it now, but in Matthew 24, when he's talking about He's talking, in, in a sense, about him coming again and the, the world coming to its full uh, completion. And he says that the, uh, he says to them in verse 42, Matthew 24, verse 42, Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Now, of course he's talking about what we know as the second coming there. And this be alert uh, the message translates that verse and the one in chapter 25 as pay attention. It's like someone knocking on the door really loud. Pay attention. 
be alert. And I'm, I'm just saying to us as his um, ambassadors, be alert to what is actually going on around, what God is doing, having gone before you and having been present with you during this week. Where has God been knocking at the door saying, pay attention, be alert? Because when we are alert, we will see Jesus. We will see him where he is. And he says the same thing again in chapter 25, where he's talking about the bridegroom coming. And um, the, he says in verse 13, be on the alert then. You do not know when the hour is come. We are never sure what's going to crop up in the next hour, the next day, the next week. We need to be on our toes. We need to be anticipating, expectant to see burning bushes. And so I want to say again to you this week, as part of our learning, did you see any burning bushes this week? Did you see uh, the presence of God, the signs of his presence there when you were going through your normal everyday activities. I remember going to school and uh, we had poetry and we we came uh, across uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, the Jesuit priest, who um, wrote this. And I, I remember it from when we did it uh, those many years ago. But of course, it's gained in meaning for me over the years. God's grandeur, the poem. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. And those, those are iconic lines. And in the sense, what he's saying, and, and we, we're not going to a poetry lesson here, but the world is charged with the grandeur of God. It is fully loaded with the grandeur of God. It's going to flame out, and he's using the imagery of the bush here. It's going to flame out like shook foil, and 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 you can. There's this glimpse of something that is magnificent, and I'm saying to us again, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. He goes ahead of us. He goes with us, and it's going to get shook out like foil. Um, it's going to shine out at some stage at us. What we don't hear so often is the way he ends the poem, where he says, Because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with our bright wings. It's, it's, it's a delicate understanding. So you've got this dramatic uh, sense in the beginning of the poem for me of the world charged with God's grace and glory and grandeur. And then you've got this gentle image of the Holy Spirit bent brooding over the world with bright wings. And I think that what we are charged with is to pay attention to what God is doing, to where he is, where he's coming, attending to him, waiting, anticipating, What's actually going on? And then saying, where is he in my week? Have you passed any burning bushes? Has God's grandeur shone out? Has the bright wings of the Spirit been present with you this week? And will you be anticipating it as you move into the next? For the second cameo 
today, I want to look at a word that I uh, stumbled upon this week and I think is delightful. Infobies. Infobies. I'll come back to it in a minute. I'm not even sure if it's a word, but it's delightful. Firstly, let me read something that Helen Keller wrote in 1908, uh, a remarkable woman who lived, um, died in 1968, but who um, was uh, born with all her normal faculties and then with illness by the time she was, un she, she was less than two years old, lost her hearing and her sight. Um, and uh, she, she wrote this, and I'm using it for a particular reason. She wrote this. The sense of smell has told me of a coming storm hours before there was any sign of it visible. I noticed first the throb of expectancy, a slight quiver, a concentration in my nostrils. As the storm draws nearer, my nostrils dilate, the better to receive the flood of earth odours which seem to multiply and extend until I feel the splash of rain against my cheek. As the tempest departs, receding further and further, the odours fade, become fainter and fainter, and die away beyond the bar of space. Now, she wrote that uh, in 1908, many, many years ago. And the reason for me to quote it is that it shows that even though she couldn't see and she couldn't hear, she was acutely attuned to what was going on. Her senses were heightened by the fact that she was using them to find her way and make her way in life, which she did remarkably um, and, and, and did so many amazing things through her life. But let me come now back to this thing of infobese. The word is used, and I don't know who coined it or where it comes from, but it talks about the psychological thing of being overloaded with information. Now, we are fed a huge amount of stuff every single day. There is all the technology, there is music, there is news, there is stuff happening constantly, and even now, when we are shut down to a large extent, there is such a, an assault on our senses, so much coming at us all the time. And the psychologists talk about this overload in a way that when we are uh, receiving stimulus constantly, we respond, we have a new stimulus, we respond, and over a period of time, and if you think of it now in terms of all the stuff we have on coronavirus and infections and deaths and all the stuff that's going on. We react, but we get to a place where we are satiated, we are fatigued. It's like when you have completely overeaten, the last thing you want to do is, is have something more to eat. And this sense of uh, fatigue, of growing tired, of being jaded, dulled, bored, with what's going on around you, is, is a very, very real and powerful thing. And I think it's important for us as followers of Jesus to understand that in our context, not only in this particular time now, where we are, in a sense, infobies, but, but just in general, the reason for the disciplines, the classic disciplines, is that 
it gives us a time to rest. It, uh, it gives us a period of being um, uh, uh, quiet, of resting, of having Sabbath, of fasting, of being silent, of being quiet, of contemplating, of being meditative. It takes away the overstimulation of what's going on. And I know there's people who have tech-free Sundays and there's all kinds of different fasts. But what it means is that we step back from this overload of stimulus to just rest again. And you know, I've, I've mentioned that the, um, there is that um, American Indian proverb which says you cannot see your reflection in running water. In a sense, it's, this is saying the same sort of thing. We need time, we need space to dial down and rest, to be quiet, to be reflective, to be able to process some of the stimulation that's going on, and to be able to uh, pick out and to, to look to see what is not necessary and what we need to actually take on board. Now, um, it's, in my opinion, it's only at that point that you can begin to be refreshed. And, and in a little bit like Keller that I mentioned right at the beginning, there is this heightened awareness of our senses. And I suggest that because of the overload of stuff that's going on in our lives, if we don't stop and take time to fast, reflect, be quiet, and all the other things I've just mentioned, we become dulled and fatigued and bored, and we become, in a way, unable to see and hear and smell what is necessary and what God is actually doing right in front of us. So make sure that at this time you take um, um, pause to just reflect and think back what's happened during the week, what's happened during my day, and just allow a sense of peace to settle on you. The third cameo for today is simply a story, and it's not my story even, it's one that Eugene Peterson tells of two of his dear friends who had two teenage boys, and they adopted a little girl whose parents had been killed in a car crash. And on the occasion that they went to fetch her, um, they recall uh, picking her up, and as they were crossing the tarmac in those days, this is going back to about 1985, as they were crossing the tarmac to get on the plane, this five-year-old little girl slipped her hand into the mother's hand. And she recalls it as a kind of a birth moment, even though it was a five-year-old little girl. And it's a delightful story. And it, it unfolds in this way. That night, the first night in her new home, they are sitting down to supper. And Eugene Peterson is explicit enough to say that it was mashed potato and pork chops. And he describes how the these exuberant teenage boys of 13 and 15 who um, had hollow legs and could eat just about anything and more that was placed in front of them, how exuberantly they ate through 
all the food that was on their plate and piled all the rest of the mashed potato and then finished off the chops and anything else that was available on the table. And this little girl who had, in her first five years of life, grown up in extreme poverty, um, the parents, uh, being astute and aware, noticed how more and more and more agitated she was becoming. And the mother, sensing that it had something to do with the amount of food that was just sort of visibly disappearing before her eyes, um, and correctly um, discerning, took the little girl and said to her, there's more where that came from. And she took her, first of all, um, uh, to the bread bin and opened the bread bin. And uh, anyone who's had ravenous teenagers in their house knows that you have to have backup loaves of bread. And there was the bread in the bread bin. And then the uh, fridge door was opened and all the stuff that was pointed out. And she allowed the little girl to handle all the food that she wanted to, what there was, the milk and the orange juice. And, you know, I won't go and name all the stuff that he names in the story. But then they went to the pantry and there were all the dry goods. And then uh, the, 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 the freezer with the chicken and all that kind of thing. And the point is this, that the, the caring mother takes the little girl who has grown up with deprivation, who's grown up with, with deep poverty, and says to her, hold these things. No longer are you going to be uh, hungry. Uh, we will provide for you. You will always have food to eat. And it's, an, it's, a, it's a very powerful picture for me of the way that we come into God's kingdom and we are uh, lavished with more than we can even begin to ask or imagine. God provides for us in a way that is so amazing. We come in with a sense of poverty, having not known the richness of all the good things that God has in store for us. And sometimes we continue with a kind of mentality that lives with the poverty that we've grown up with. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to just settle on us and to, out of the uh, darkness and chaos of our lives, as the message says in uh, Psalm 51, to for God to create a Genesis week out of the chaos of our life, to, to recreate in us the sense that he built into us when he first created us, that he will provide for us, he will watch over us, he will care for us. And it's wonderful when you read in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1, Verse 7, he talks about the richness. Paul talks about the richness of God's grace. In verse 18, he talks about the riches of God's glory. He does exactly the same thing again in chapter 2, verse 7, about the riches of the, of the grace that we experience in God. And then in chapter 3, he talks about, the, in, in, in chapter 3, verse 8, he, he says this, and I'll read it to you. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. He goes on to, to, to mention it more and more. And, and the, the point I'm making about this whole thing of God's providing for us and lavishing on us all the richness of who he is, is that not only have we received from him all of this, 
But as we walk through the week, as we go through life, he's made us emissaries, ambassadors of all this goodness, all this grace, all his glory. That as we walk and go through the week, not only will we be looking for where we see him, as we read from Gerard Manley Hopkins, that all the, the splendor, the glory of God, his grandeur, like, like shining all around us. But we are the ones who actually are taking him with us. And Paul writes at the end, he says, uh, at the end of chapter 3, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant me, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man, that God would work his wondrous ways within us, that his peace and life and love and light and glory and all the richness of his grace would be uh, made manifest in my life so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And my prayer is that in this time where we are looking to see where God is active and trying to uh, reflect and listen and, and be aware and alert, paying attention to where God is, that most of all we would pay attention to this, that he has given to us all the richness of his presence and power. We have been gifted his Holy Spirit and we need to live in the fullness and the, the, the reality of all of that, that the, the bread bin and the fridge, the pantry and the freezer are full. And then just settle in to just enjoy his presence and then take him with us as we go into a new week.